1: In business, service is everything. Centas delivers what you need to better serve your customers. Whether it's freshly laundered work apparel for almost any job imaginable, tested and inspected fire protection systems, first aid and safety supplies, on-site AED training, or mops and restroom products, stocked and
2: ready when you need them. Better workdays happen together. So visit CentOS.com.
0: Oh, I'm ready! And get ready for the workday.
2: On many levels, I'd say the generation coming through are exactly the, the hope that we need. Now, that's not to say it's going to be easy. That's not to say we haven't left it too late for them uh, in, in things like um, climate change, as I say, biodiversity collapses. These, these are big, big uh, uh, problems. But it's worth pointing out that we do know how to solve them.
3: You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team, with the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.
1: Hello, I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. If, like me, you grew up on a steady stream of Hollywood blockbusters filled with killer robots alien invasions and apocalyptic natural disasters, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the future looks pretty bleak. But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be that way. In fact, according to John Higgs, a writer who specialises in finding previously unsuspected narratives hidden in obscure corners of our history and culture, the group of adults of school-leaving age might be just the sort of individuals we need if we're going to avoid the dystopian future science fiction would have us believe. In his book, The Future Starts Here... He explains why this Generation Z have inherited a world apparently on the brink of self-destruction, and why their enthusiasm for wider social networks will be key to a brighter future. He speaks to BBC Science Focus online editor Alexander McNamara about what Star Trek can teach us about generational attitudes, the desire for meaning over stuff, and why life on Mars would be rubbish. Alexander kicks things off by asking him why he decided to write a book about the future.
2: Well, I, what started it was the realization that um, at some point in the 1980s, every single image of a positive future seemed to drop out of our culture. Well, I don't think there's been a single positive mainstream Hollywood film that depicts a future that you'd actually want to go in, that you'd actually want to live in, since, since around the mid 80s. And this struck me as. worrying, you know, because if it's true that, you know, before we can build a future, we have to first imagine it, um, then, you know, the lack of anything other than zombies or apocalypses or or collapsed civilizations uh, isn't good. It isn't good. So I kind of wanted to sort of explore that issue. And the thing I discovered quite quickly is that when we think about the future, say we think about what things will be like in, say, twenty fifty, uh, with climate change, with biodiversity collapse, with inequality, with all these things, we automatically imagine that the people then will see the world in the same way that we do now. They'll have our same, you know, our same baggage, our same prejudices, our same ideas, and that really, that really isn't the case. You know, the the. Uh, for just from generation to generation, there's very, very significant shifts in in how we understand the wider picture, and that's never been as strong as in the marked uh, division between uh, the millennial generation. You know, everyone knows the millennial generation, but the, the the kids that follow them. This is this is Generation Z. This is people born after sort of the late nineties who, who are now just starting to go to university. Who are now just starting to enter the electorate. The the divide in, in in, in how these two groups think is, is quite extraordinary. And when you speak to um, demographic researchers, they've never seen a profound shift like this in any of their data going going back centuries. Um, uh, and so you have to take this in bo- take this on board. you have to understand that how people think will affect the future that we're about to create.
3: So, what is the main difference then between? So, uh, you know, you, in, in the book, you talk about all the different generations. You say there's a marked difference between uh, the millennial generation and the next generation on. What is that? You know, what's the big difference between those two generations, and how does that differ from the, the, the different uh, generations before that?
2: Well, the easiest way to put it would be that uh, millennials uh, are the most individualistic generation that we've have ever had. It's been, it's been a trend that's been building through the baby boomers, through, through Generation X, through the millennials. Uh, this, this sense that understanding the world through the metaphor of yourself, uh, yourself is the focus and the most important thing, has been getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Suddenly, we have a generation who were raised with smartphones in their hands who are going to school you know with an iphone or something like that who understand that an individual is not um, a good enough uh, metaphor for understanding things. It's it's the network that's important. It's their, their relationships. You have to understand the importance of what you're connected to before you can understand, you know, what you can do, uh, what's what's possible, what sort of person you are. You, the, you, your own set of relationships is as much a part of who you are, you know, as the, this sense of the individual. And so the, the generation coming up now, it's why you see things like the um, well obviously the climate kids is is a obvious example or the climate strikes all the kids leaving school and uh, forcing the issue onto the national agenda in a way that millennial school kids didn't there's there's been a, a, an understanding that um, they're not powerless individuals you know they they are force to be reckoned with they are such a large connected network group and I think a lot of people were very dismissive of them. They're usually described as like snowflakes people focus on their anxiety that there uh, their worries they, they 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 think they're sort of sort of uh weak but there's the again this is the shifts the huge changes that have come there's been a, a massive increase uh, yes in anxiety but also in empathy because these are very very closely connected you know if, if if the walls you build around you uh break down uh you get both anxiety and and empathy and the greater uh greater level of empathy that this um, this generation is showing uh, is going to become a very very significant factor in politics going forward as they enter the electorate and the the later baby boomers start to sort of die off
3: so these baby boomers are the people that are uh, essentially the ones in power now
2: yes absolutely yes
3: and they they
2: sort of see the world through the eyes of the 20th century uh, and that's just not how people are going to be seeing the world in just a few decades it's i I think what we're seeing now it's kind of like the last thrash of the dragon's tail really so uh, it's it's like you know sometimes a virus has to run its course before you can build up the antibodies to it Uh, a lot of people are very um horrified by um the state of the world at at the moment and, and think everything's just going to part and everything's sort of sort of terrible um but they're not seeing this, this this sort of change that's sort of coming in and, and, and the realization that um, while baby boomers and genera- Generation X like myself, while we did absolutely nothing about, say, climate change, you know, we knew about it, we heard about it, but there was a sense of, well... I don't see why I should, you know, have to do anything about it. And if I'm not going to, then other people won't. So if other people won't, then nothing will happen. So we'll just sort of ignore it. That's that's kind of the reason why nothing has happened for decades with, with, with climate change. This generation coming through, they just don't think like that at all. You know, they, they they think obviously we have to do something. What's going to work? You know, that's it's a very, very different shift. And seeing the future when you factor in things like this it suddenly becomes you know a very very different uh different different perspective to you know what the the, the mainstream hollywood films have, have been telling us
3: and so why do you think it is that these this this sudden change what what makes this new generation i don't know what this sort of post-millennial generation is called but um what,
2: yeah, what... Gen- yeah generation Z is what they're usually called people are still squabbling about <laughs> about the name but i think that's the one that doesn't make any sense but it seems to be sticking mm.
3: so what is that what you know where has that shift been that's that's gone you know i'm i i think i sit firmly in the the millennial bracket um yes and um so what you know what is it that's that's made this generation Z so different you know has there been a catalyst in there
2: well, I mean, a large part of it is being raised networked, uh, is being raised with the internet, only not, it's they've, they've never known a world without it. Um, and the, you can see the shift in how people say, think about selfies, you know, if if someone, if an older person sees someone taking a selfie, holding the phone out, photographing themselves, they immediately think, oh, well, that's vain. You know, they're taking a picture of themselves to look at themselves. They're sort of self-absorbed and vain. But to a generation Z, they see someone communicating with their friends. They see someone sharing a moment with their their wider group. They they don't see it as just uh, one person alone because it's not. That's just not what it is. That doesn't explain what's sort of going on. And that automatically always thinking in terms of how this connects to others and how that how that thinks uh, clearly must be connected to to uh, this this rise in the smartphone in fact when you look at the demographic um, changes it's usually around 2012 maybe 2011 2012 was this huge shift in all these different attitudes uh, and that Coincidentally enough, is the same place uh, where smartphones became ubiquitous. So, although the the generation said hate the idea, you know that they're formed by their smartphones. We can blame their smartphones for their anxiety and things like that. Uh, I, th- I think there's there's a, a good argument for it.
3: So that sort of that, that was more of a, a catalyst to to what made these changes and what made it happen.
2: I think so yeah I mean there's, there's, there's many other factors I mean they've, they've grown up you know after 9/11 and after the, um, uh, the the 2008 global financial collapse they've sort of grown up in an era where there's it's not really worked nothing's really worked there's been no sort of great sort of um, uh, moments I mean when I grew up uh, I was born in 1971 uh, we'd see things like Saturn 5 rockets on the TV or we'd watch films like Bionic Man and we'd just think oh you know there was those was exciting positive things and the West seemed to be seemed to be um, uh, unstoppable the West seemed to be doing all sorts of extraordinary things um this is a generation that's seen the West sort of fail in many you know many aspects since and I are much keener to um, uh, criticize or look for ways to improve things than we were mm-hmm.
3: It's just uh, what you say there it reminds makes me think back to sort of when i think of uh the future the vision of the future from the past uh, so you mm-hmm. know you look at science fiction from the the 60s and 70s and it's very different to the science fiction that we have now is that sort yeah. of like a an accurate, accurate representation of
2: very much so, very much. And if you if you look at science fiction uh, franchises, I guess is the word that have that have run from the sixties onwards, things like Doctor Who, things like Star Trek, you get a, a really interesting mirror uh, of how society is changing. And Star Trek is is a great example. I go on about uh, at length in the book. Because there was the, there was a there was a sort of a key moment in the early eighties uh, when they were making the second Star Trek film, Wrath of Khan, uh, and the, the and it was this big argument between the director Nicholas Meyer and uh, Gene Roddenberry, who'd in, who'd invented Star Wars and and uh, uh, it was his baby sort of thing, but it was being taken off him, and the argument was about no smoking signs on the bridge of the U.S. Enterprise, uh, and Roddenberry was like going. You cannot, there's no point in putting no smoking signs, because in the 23rd century, astronauts aren't going to be smoking. Uh, The whole point of Star Trek is that it recognises that people are getting better. And uh, Nicholas Meyer, the director, was having none of it. He was just like, no, people never change, people are always the same, people always get into fights and and, and so forth. Of course people will be smoking. And he won, and that was the argument that, that, that sort of won. And Star Star Trek lost the idea that we were, as people, getting better. And it became much bleaker and darker, especially after, you know, Roddenberry died. But he was right. You know, you can't imagine, you know, astronauts in the 23rd century having 20 B&H in their pockets or something like (laughs) that. They, They may vape. I'm not saying they won't vape. But, you know, we can see that, you know, there are improvements there are progress just in things like gay rights in, in uh, civil rights in, in you know, uh, feminist issues, uh, uh, trans awareness, all these the hundreds of ways that's over you know, the past 30, 40, 50 years, you can see clear progressions where humans are behaving better, you know, to, to other humans. Um, so it was interesting to see the, the, the loss of that belief playing out in science fiction,
3: Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you brought up Star. Like, you know, I'm a Trekkie and I've I've, I've watched them uh-huh. all. And there's there's a definite, you know, there's definite changes uh, in the, the the style and tone of the programs as there as you go on like through time. Um, yeah. uh, do you think that, that you know you've got your 60s Star Trek, which is very colourful and bright? The reason why the, the the second Star Trek film, The Wrath of Khan, that was darker was up just because the new generation was coming in with their opinions and uh, the way how they their world view?
2: I think it was because they let Jane Roddenberry make the Star Trek film he wanted to make, which was the, the, the very first one, which, as you recall, was quite long and ponderous. Uh, and it was successful, but it, it could have been a lot more successful if it had been much more of a straight 80s adventure sort of yarn, uh, which is what the second one was, which is, uh, uh, again, it was much more naval. It was it was Star Trek it was a military thing, which was something Gene Roddenberry argued against. But it's, it's interesting because uh, one thing I talk about is how, uh, in the 21st century, Star Trek has even stopped looking forward, and everything has been looking back to earlier sort of points in its timeline and in, in its history. It had things like Enterprise, which is a prequel series, or they've redone the, the the you know the Kirk and Spock films, and Discovery is set in the in the past, and things like that. Um, but since I wrote that. They've started to look forward again. You know, they're talking about things like uh, this Picard series. They're, um, they're the, the next series of Discovery is going into the future. So there is a shift changing even in Star Trek. There's this, this sort of this belief in the future again is starting to appear. And I know it seems daft to, to read too much into, into things like that. But they are little bellwethers of, of you know, larger cultural trends.
3: Do you think that's because the people who are writing the 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 Star Trek now are probably the millennials as opposed to the Generation Xers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I, I'm seeing since I wrote that book, the the future starts here. um, Even it's almost since I handed it into the publisher, I've started to see things that I was predicting, sort of. Occurring, uh, in fact, in the in the period between handing it into the publisher and it hitting the bookshelves, there was there was uh, things like I, I talked earlier about, you know, Greta Thunberg and the, uh, the the climate change march and and the, and the kids, you know, coming together and and uh, putting this big you know uh, incredible incredible uh, campaign together and it's been sort of predicting that things like that would happen thinking I was being all clever and smart but when the book by the time the book came out it just looks like I'm stating the obvious <laughs> it's, it's changed so it's changing so much so quickly and um, uh, you know we're very much at, uh, um, uh, at the darkest hour you know uh, culturally and politically on on many many sort of different levels and and this this is always when when you start to see the dawn I think
3: so you know, coming back to that Star Trek analogy of um, of Gene Roddenberry thinking that we're always getting better? Are we at the point now where we genuinely are this generation coming through is genuinely getting better? On
2: many levels, I'd say the generation coming through are exactly the, the hope that we need. Now, that's not to say it's going to be easy. That's not to say we haven't left it too late for them uh, in in things like um, climate change, as I say, biodiversity collapse. These, these are big, big uh, uh, problems. Uh, but it's worth pointing out that we do know how to solve them. The problem hasn't been, how do we solve these? The problem has been that we just didn't think we would. You know, we just didn't think we would solve them, so we didn't make the effort. And that, that change in belief from we're not going to do this to we are going to do this is going to make, you know, such a
3: difference. And it's this generation coming through that have the power to do that?
2: It's this, and we have to help them as much as possible, you know. We're, for, for the sake of our grandchildren, we we, we have to get, get behind them and support them and uh, and and do everything we can, I guess.
3: So does that mean that we're looking at a, you know for me, the future has the appearance that it might be a bit bleak. Um, Should I, you know, sponge that out? You
2: know, there's never a straight utopia and there's never a straight dystopia. There's always change and some change is good and some change is bad and, and there's darker times that we have to come through and, and things like that and there are times in culture which which were great for some people and, and not for others. It's always going to be a, a big crazy sort of mismatch. What we've got to lose is the idea that we don't have a future, you know, that we are all doomed, that it will all collapse so it doesn't matter. You know, we do have to um, Try, at least try, at least at least see what we can do personally to, to make things better in our own lives and uh, around us. Um, we've got we've got to have that hope. I think what it comes down to. It's it's quite interesting. It's it comes down to the, the subject of um, what makes a meaningful life, uh, and and the the answer to that seems to be enthusiasm you know if you have enthusiasm it doesn't really matter what for but it, it gives you purpose and it makes life self you know self evidently worth while and and um, and uh, you know a reason to get up in the morning uh, and, it, it, and a lot of it is about arranging our uh, political world um to allow people to explore their enthusiasms, to to build because you know, everybody's got something they want to do. You know, everyone's got something that they're interested in. But normally, you know, the 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 reality of working two or three little gig economy jobs, or the you know the cost of your rent, or or things like that, just completely drain your energy and, and drain any time you have for uh, dedicating to those things that you know you really know what you should be doing. You know, if we can politically move to allow um people more time, uh and more freedom for their own enthusiasms, which does I think start appear to be happening. Um then we've got quite an amazing future ahead. I think. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of adapting to climate change because we've left it too late. You're looking at um, things like uh, basic income, you know, political changes like that. Uh, I talk a lot about the importance of rewilding in the book and um, and uh, our relationship with planet Earth and, and realizing that you know our, our, our future is not in space. It is here, and we do have to look after this this place uh, and and our relationship with AI and our, our technology. And all these different various factors are all sort of, uh, there's kind of interesting things ahead, is what I'm saying.
3: Yeah. No, no, that's there's there's a lot to take in there. Um, So I was just wondering if maybe you could uh, explain, you know, why is it that, it's only now that we're, we're we're feeling this this level of enthusiasm, whereas before, you know, the different generations have felt sort of this nihilistic approach to things.
2: I, I, it really is this huge wave of individualism that that uh, marked the twentieth century, um, which those of us you know raised and brought up in in the late to mid twentieth century just assumed was normal. You know, we just thought that well, this is this makes total sense, and this is how how things could be, and and it sort of started. From the end of sort of World War One onwards, really, because there was a collapse in the way we we understood the world as this hierarchical thing where everybody had their place and uh, and it was your place in the hierarchy that was more important than what you're actually like as a person that was that was that was the old way of seeing things. That all broke down with World War One and then going into World War Two and then and the second half we had this huge rise in the idea of no, it's the individual that's important. You know, in the 20th century, we'd we'd have heroes like um uh the clint eastwood character in the the spaghetti westerns the man with no name right he was such a such an individual he was so he was so isolated from everyone else like he didn't even have a name and in the 20th century we looked up to that we thought oh that's so cool you know he's so isolated he doesn't even have a name we thought that was a great great thing obviously to um People being raised now in the networked world—that's just ludicrous. You know, that's awful. You know, we we need we need each other. You know, that's a that's a, a vital part of what makes worthwhile what makes life worthwhile and necessary. You know,
3: and so this new generation, which have a lot more empathy and uh, enthusiasm for everything, what what's the, what are they going to do? That's going to make the future um, you know workable and uh, a far more. Uh, From a pleasant place to be. Well, um, oh, that's quite a big question. But I mean, <laughs> it's sort of harking back to the. It's, the I mean, the, the
2: it's a pips, big. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's going to be a big, big political change uh, as they spill into into the electorate. They have so much more concern um, for others. This, this, the, the importance of being woke is a lot to do with the importance of you know thinking hey hang on how's this going to affect other people having concern for, for others and not trying to hurt people and and, and, and treat others uh, you know with decency and their respect um, how it you know how it's all going to play out we've yet to see um, but that's certainly the the qualities that you'd be hoping to see at this point definitely you know certainly the qualities that uh, um, uh, know, exactly what we need at this point in time I think mm.
3: and so those uh, you know this it sort of feels like that there's there's bigger changes that we can do sort of grand things that only this generation are going to be able to push through that will that will enable yeah things. I mean
2: I, I, as I mentioned uh, a basic income earlier I think I think that there's a there's such a ground spell, uh, groundswell of support for that idea across the political spectrum, with the exception of the centre. You know, um, would uh, you
3: be able to I, explain what a basic in- income is? Oh, so sure,
2: like- yes, yeah. Basic income is uh, is a system where everyone is given enough money to live. Uh, and house themselves and feed themselves uh, but not enough money to that that's all they sort of need in the world it's 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 a it's a level of 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 security which means you don't have to take the terrible jobs. It means you can you know care for sick relatives if you need to it's it's uh, there's there's a there's a long um, uh, history of research into this idea it's, it goes to, to people like richard Nixon Richard Nixon were very sort of keen on this idea, but now we get people like you know uh, Oh, everyone from Mark Zuckerberg to Caroline Lucas to um, it's people well across different spectrums are arguing in favour of this as on the grounds that when you first hear it, you just go, "That's ludicrous!" You know, you can't give people free money; it'd be far too expensive. The more you look into it, the more you realise that no, hang on, this this actually makes a lot of sense. People on the left like it because it it sort of puts an end to poverty, and people on the right like it because it allows people to be much more entrepreneurial to you know to sort of set up the businesses. They, they want to, to, to make they don't they're not sort of trapped in the welfare state they're not sort of um, uh, you know everybody's sort of given freedom with this this level of security that sort of sort of comes with it and I, I'm not sure Britain will be the first country to to go for it it's a bit harder here with our um, massively expensive uh, p- property and things like that but I, I do think it is something we will start to see a being tried out in various places around the 21st century. Um, and yeah, that, that would be very interesting to see.
3: And so how will having this this basic income I- enable uh, that future? Is it is it the fact that people will have more time uh, and more resources to be able to go out and, and make positive changes?
2: Yeah. I mean, you have to factor in all this and what we're going to have to do uh to about the climate you know you know the the idea of um oh well we just want economies to expand and expand and expand and gdp to keep growing and growing and growing ever and ever it's really not going to last that that you know there's there's a there's a, a quote i use a lot in the book um i think it's stein's law you know something that uh, can't go on forever won't um and and that's really where we are uh with that we're going to have to find a much more sustainable uh, economy but there is already this move between uh, in the 20th century it was all about getting things it was about wanting stuff you know that was that was what we strive for we strive for stuff uh now i think the move is much more to we don't need stuff you know we, we need meaning you know we need purpose we need enthusiasm uh uh, and there's an infinite supply of that you know that's not really gonna uh you know trash the climate to the level of stuff so so this 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 shift into into doing what we what we what we should be doing you know which is you know having a rich full meaningful you know joyful life that's where it sort of has to go and finding ways to do that uh that aren't carbon intensive you know that don't 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 uh, that that allow us to you know preserve large amounts of wilderness and to uh keep biodiversity thriving you know to do uh to to get rid of the, the 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 growing inequality, the massive sort of level of growing inequality, which is something that would could be easily done if the political will was there. You know, if people voted for it to be done, it would be done. It's it's not something that that can't be done. You know, for all the the you know the imbalance uh, in the media of the the voice of the you know, of the you know the billionaire class, for for want of a better word, um, these things. I'm not saying they're definitely going to happen, but you know, if, we, if we're pushing in the direction, it's the right direction to push. I think. Hmm.
3: Yeah, no, that that makes me think um, uh, about the, the, the you know the we you know, we're recording this shortly after the, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Ah, oh, yes, yes, and, and um, you know there was a lot of enthusiasm, and that very much drove a nation towards uh, the the goal, which was to land on the moon. And there's there's a lot around. There's a lot to talk about going to Mars in mm-hmm. in 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 you know in popular culture at the moment um now, you know, there's that, that, the argument there that that could bring about a lot of enthusiasm for space travel. But whereas, you know, we've also got the problems of climate change to solve first.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the big problem with going to Mars on Mars, and this is on mass I'm talking, like, I mean, Elon Musk talking about getting a million people on Mars. I mean, um, obviously, I'm pretty, I'm pretty hopeful and pretty confident that we're going to get one or two people, you know, traveling there and getting on there. And I, and I can't wait to see it. But the idea of going there on mass uh, really runs into the idea that being on Mars would be rubbish. It would it would be absolutely awful. Um, you know, if you, if you can imagine what it'd be like to spend your entire life like at the bottom of the ocean, at the bottom of the Atlantic, in a little sort of sea uh, sea base on the bottom of the Atlantic, you would be desperate to to return out of it after a few months you'd be going stir crazy you wouldn't be able to go outside without special pressurized suits and um that would be a thousand times better than being on mars with the you know with the radiation and the the thin atmosphere and the the percolates poisoning the soil and and the sub-zero temperatures and this it would just be a terrible terrible you know place to be Uh, because we're sort of brought up in the in the shadow of the space age and you know space just looked exciting and fun and wonderful and stuff i think i've I had always had this belief that yes that's our future we will go out into space but the reality is you know we've evolved so that we we can only survive in this thin band of of atmosphere around this one particular damp rock with with all the flora and fauna that we need you know we can't we can't build a big enough uh, e- ecosystem that we'd survive in to take out into, in, you know, in a bubble in, in, in space. Um, our future is on this planet. And once you realize that, you know, then you have to start thinking about it differently. You know, you have to go and, you know, make this work. You know, you're going to have to find a sustainable way um, to, to not trash your own home. At least when you're, when you're going to be living there for good.
3: Do you think that's something that the, the the generation Zs will understand? They'll be less enthusiastic about going to Mars and more more positive about staying on this one.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, see, it's it's things like the rise in things like veganism, which you never really have, uh, I never would have predicted this year. They would have such a fuss over, you know, Greg's vegan sausage rolls. Uh, but no, it's it's this 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 generational shift sort of coming in. Uh, they're not just going, oh, we should be more vegetarian. They're just going, no, they're going straight for the whole sort of vegan sort of thing. And there's there's I won't go into it here, but there's been a shift from a postmodern society into what they're starting. To call a meta modern society, uh, we've sort of left that post modern twentieth century thing behind, uh, and the general understanding now is that you know all models are flawed, but some are useful, and it's about going for what's sort of useful which means people are using much more sort of extreme ideas we're seeing this playing out politically and it can be quite a scary and uh, troubling thing especially if you're naturally a, a sort of more of a centrist uh, minded person who's not who's not sort of sort of keen on change um but there's suddenly this huge jump to things like the, the increase in you know vegan milks and and, and things like that are, are not things anyone would particularly have predicted and slightly taken us by surprise. And they're sort of good evidence of, of the changes that are happening without us really kind of taking on board. What's, what sort of, sort of going on. That's, I think the whole trans rights thing is very interesting because it used to be that, um, you know, if you're looking at sort of like gay rights or 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 feminism or civil rights, there would be like a decades of campaigning to raise awareness in, in the society or in in, the, in legal terms before change would start to happen. That's how these things usually saw sort of happened, but there wasn't there really wasn't any of that for the, the whole trans rights thing. It's just like this generation just got it. And sort of explained it to the rest of us, uh, and then I'm sort of like going, "Oh, now my Prince records make sense. I see. Oh, I never realised that. Now that's okay. I get it." And you know, and you you see people like Eddie Izzard now describing themselves as Strands, even though they didn't wasn't a word they knew or campaigned for. You know, uh, beforehand, it was uh, the, these shifts are uh, occurring, um, and they're worth keeping an eye on. I think, yeah.
3: Hmm. So uh, ultimately, there's. What the drivers for the our future, whatever that may look like, it might just happen without us really knowing or understanding why.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I think I think we have to have a lot more sense of personal responsibility. I think a lot of books about the future they either um I don't know they're either from some si- big Silicon Valley insider or some 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 great academic in the in, in an ivory tower, and they very much sort of declare that this is what the future is going to be. It's sort of like tablets are laid down, this is what your future will be. I don't think that's the case at all. I think a future is is very much something that we're all building now, um, person by person. Uh, and having that knowledge uh, and being and, and taking that responsibility for your own life and how that life interacts with other people and impacts on other people. Um, that's what's, that's what's building the future. It's famous. It's, it's much more ground up than top down. I think um, it's, it's not set in stone. You know, we could all be awful people and ha- have a terrible future, but we might not, you know, we, we, that's certainly not definite. That's certainly not set in stone. You know, uh, it's wor- it's worth thinking about, about better places we could be heading because we go where the focus is mm.
3: and that's how we're going to get there that's how we're going to get there yes yeah brilliant um i just have one more question that i desperately need to ask you yes why did you have to ruin the breakfast club for me yeah um, i had to well <laughs> uh
2: i feel i feel obviously very apologetic uh, <laughs> about that but it's 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 Probably the best example I can find for people raised in the in the late twentieth century to understand the shift in generations that's having is to take you know members of generation Z and sit them down in front of the breakfast club and have that horrible sinking realization that the whole thing makes no sense at all to them and that the character that you know, you know, we thought was was the baddie. You know, the the uh, the, the schoolmaster, the, uh, the 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 figure of authority who was who was making these teenagers' life hell. You know, uh, isn't the baddie to them at all. You know, he's, he's just someone who's doing his job. He's just coming in at the weekend because he wants the school to be running better. You know, he's, he's a bit of a fool, but he's light relief. He's comic relief at sort of best. We all thought that the hero of The Breakfast Club was uh, the, the, the bender character, the uh, Judd Jud Nelson's character, because he was so cool. Uh, you know, he did everything on his own terms, on his own rules. He didn't sort of bend for no one. He was this real individualistic sort of uh uh you know self-declared 80s sort of person um and to watch it with teenagers who just see that he's just a horrible person he's just deliberately making other people's lives worse he's just miserable to them uh sure he's got a sad backstory but that doesn't explain the cruelty that he he shows to people for them the, the 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 emotional heart of this thing is the nerd character, the a guy called Brian, who towards the end uh, uh, and uh, confesses that he made a suicide attempt in in the previous week, and it's sort of played for laughs because he used a flare gun, and uh, yeah. uh, and our generation don't really give that character much attention. We just don't really think of him. We're just so impressed by Judd Nelson. So when you when you when you watch it with Generations end and the film ends with you know John Nelson marching across the, the playing field and punching the air. They just can't understand what the hell they've just watched. It makes no sense to them. Because their their um their, their values have shifted so significantly that the film makes no sense at all. And the hor- and the horrible thing is, you know, they're right. You know, they're absolutely right. We wish, we were we why didn't we see it at the time?
1: You know, he, he's a horrible character, <laughs> he's a horrible person. That was John Higgs talking about his book, The Future Starts Here, which is available to buy now. If you want a little more optimism about the future, pick up a copy of BBC's Science Focus magazine, which this month looks at the miracle microbes that could be the key to your health and well-being. And there's loads more inside. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and listen back to some of our previous episodes, like the one where I interviewed paleontologist Steve Brusatte about dinosaurs. If you like it, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts.